The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. Good evening and welcome to The Gadget Guide. Show number 145, our third one for 2019. This evening we're going to have a quick look ahead at the Cambridge Science Festival coming up next month, chat to one of the speakers who, are, who is going to be presenting some interesting stuff. We'll yes. find out about his, uh, his talk. And uh, we're also going to look at some of the weirder things that were shown at the Consumer Electronics Show this year and uh, see which ones stick around and which ones we just hope go away. So let's have a quick look at all of the world's technology news for uh, for for this fortnight. There's, there's been quite a lot going on, really, hasn't there? It's it's been reasonably busy. It has, uh, I suppose, sticking close to home. Oh, we had to, we had the, to. Su- Susie Thorpe got the uh, the 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 exclusive, scoop, absolute scoop. <laughs> but, but we should mention it anyway. This was the Raspberry Pi Foundation opening a retail shop. Yes, in the Grand Arcade. Uh, so if you are in Cambridge, then do head along to that. You can you can go and play with it, and and that's the thing is that the Raspberry Pi Foundation obviously have been amazingly successful uh, yep. producing the product and also getting it into schools and getting it in front of kids exactly and getting it in front of people who would never have thought of that they could do any coding do any software development anything like that before well, it's, ma- it's made it a, a computing accessible again yep. rather than having to go right okay we're looking at three to five hundred pounds for a reasonable laptop or desktop machine to use at home to do coding and, and that sort of thing on suddenly it's a tenth of that price exactly and it's something that you can play around with without worrying whether you're going to mess it up because the worst thing you know if it's your if it's your main family computer and you do something <laughs> and it goes wrong yeah suddenly there's a computer that isn't able to do your taxes you look at your emails do all the important stuff pay the bills online and those sort of things that we expect to be able to do exactly whereas a raspberry pi the worst thing that happens is if you completely mess it up you can just reinstall the the the, the operating system, and I mean, even even, got... even that is a skill that not a lot of people have had is no. installing an operating system. Yeah, and they made it, it really it easy. Suddenly made it. Yep. Well, it made it something that's accessible and easy to do, and for you to be able to do multiple times without destroying something. So, of course, retail establishment, you can walk in, you can talk to staff who can tell you about it, they can show it to you, you can get hands-on with it. And that that's the magic of it, is if you're thinking, oh, maybe I'd be interested, or or maybe maybe my children would be interested in that, but I don't yet know whether uh, they're going to be... Apparently, their biggest buyer is grandma. Really? Yes. So this, this is grandma... Hasn't quite got the confidence, maybe, to just go no, and buy buying one it for the grandkids. Unseen, buying it for the grandkids. Ah, nice. Giving the grandkids technical, tech, good educational products. Now, I reckon that half of those grandmas will be back in a couple of weeks buying one Wanting for themselves. To, yes, especially with the accessibility of it. So it's it's great. Go down and have a, a look at the shop. It's in the Grand Arcade. Also, go on to Cambridge105.co.uk. Look at the website. Search for. Uh, Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pi. And, <laughs> and you'll, up, yep. you'll find the interview that uh, that Eben Upton had with Susie. Yep, that's uh, back on the 9th of February. So uh, thanks very much to uh, to him for taking the time out to, uh, to to talk to us. Next on the list, Microsoft are making proclamations. Yes. And uh, the interesting one that they just made, the Microsoft security chief said, uh, Internet Explorer is not a browser. Stop using it. I'm, I'm not sure that's, that's quite fair to say that. <laughs> Um, the, this is the the push to really move everyone away from Internet Explorer to something more modern, whether that's Microsoft's own Edge or Chrome or Firefox. Brave, 
Brave, yes. Uh, it's, uh, it's got some interesting stuff in there. Yeah. And of course, there, there are plenty of other options. Safari, if you're on the Mac. What's also interesting is that alongside this sort of move to get everyone away from IE, is that Edge itself is going to move towards using Chromium. This is the technology that sits behind Google's Chrome browser yep. and the Android browsers and many others. Um, uh, so Microsoft have finally given up on, on yeah. writing a browser themselves. Which is sort of interesting because there'll be a bunch of web developers out there going, oh, thank goodness for that. I don't have to worry about supporting a different browser. Yeah. On the other hand, it does mean that we maybe risk getting back to this situation we had in the 90s where you have the browser monopoly, where yeah. rather than everyone agreeing on a standard... Firefox, wasn't it? Uh, Net Netscape originally, yeah, yeah. and then Internet Explorer, and then it sort of opened up a bit. Uh, but it's, it's the rather than everyone agreeing on the standards, it's yeah. just whoever makes that brow- the standard browser gets to make the rules. And that's that's not really a good situation for anyone. It isn't, but... Um... There, there was a situation, that this did amuse me slightly, um, with Chromium recently, which is that Google broke something on, I think it was Google Photos. Mm-hmm. And rather than fix Google Photos, they hacked Chrome <laughs> to <Yeah>. work with it. <laughs> it's a little bit rude. At which point, Chrome then didn't properly comply with the standards and what it ended up with was a Mozilla so one of the Firefox team a Mozilla developer fixing Chrome <laughs> so that it complied with the standards and still worked with Google Photos wow. but you know it, it, that is one of the risks when you get these browser monopolies or any yeah. other monopoly is so, that suddenly everyone's worse off yes so Microsoft are rightly saying that Internet Explorer is a compatibility solution it's there yep. in Windows 10 just for when Edge doesn't work yep try to avoid using Internet Explorer as your primary browser, switch to one of the others um, while you have a choice. <laughs> yes. No, that's... Um, I mean, Firefox, I use I use Chrome, I use Edge, I use all three for different things. And I, I think it's good It's good to keep familiar with all of them. And I do the same. Just I the have Chrome. keys sometimes. Control-Shift-P. Uh, yeah, yeah. And control but I, I have Chrome, Chrome at work, Firefox yeah. at home. Yeah, pretty, um, pretty similar for me. Pretty yeah, similar for me. I think keeping that diversity is, is a good thing. Uh, Tech News writes itself for us with the Mobile World Congress that's coming up 25th to the 28th of February. We'll, yes. of course, be watching closely all the announcements from all of the phone manufacturers, everyone except Apple normally. Yeah. <laughs> are Samsung uh, playing with everyone else this year or are they doing their own event again? Uh, Samsung will have already announced the Galaxy S10 before Mobile World Congress. Uh, I think they're a day or two before. Uh, trying to claim all those headlines pretty before much, everyone gets exhausted. Much. But the, the hype that is um, going around Mobile World Congress is that the, the next thing, which it'll either be wonderful and everyone will want one or it'll be a fad, like 3D TVs, yep. is foldable phones. This is a little bit of a sort of re- resurging fashion, isn't it? Because, <laughs> it of course, we had foldable phones. Yes, Motorola StarTech. Yes, yeah, the, the, the flip phones and, uh, and the sort LG of slide out phones yeah, and everything uh, like Nokia, that. The, the Nokia Banana, eighty one ten. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah. I, yes, I think that may have been a little bit before my time. But it, <laughs> and the thing you pushed it and it went and out popped the... Yeah. It, it is one of those things that, that just seems to come around every so often is, is that you know, people want more more interaction surface while still fitting it in their pocket. Yes, more screen real estate. And uh, I think we're going to have a... We'll probably pose this of our guest um, in about twenty in about 15 minutes' time as to, you know, when can we do away with the screen? Oh, that'll be interesting, yes. Yeah. Did, of course, this this is something that, again, seemed to, to pop up a, a little while back, which is 
phones and also video you know, camcorders with built-in micro projectors. Yeah. Um, so I know that Dom Smith, who's one of the engineering team here, has a Sony camcorder that has a built-in projector. So yes. The idea is you take your holiday snaps, and then when you're sitting around the the pool in the evening, then you sit this thing Project down and, and it watch, projects watch onto all. What you filmed, yes. I, I have to say the the reality doesn't quite live up to that promise. It's a no, little bit it's dim. Little it's bit not not great. It's, but but wishy washy. Yeah, and of course. It, you, know, you then have a different interaction system as well. You can't do a touch screen if it's if there's no screen. Yeah. But there is some clever stuff where you can project and then sort of use a camera to work out where people's fingers are. Yep. And you can do that already with uh, d- uh, digital whiteboards. Yes, you of know, course. Which we see in schools and uh, conference venues and so on already, where you're effectively drawing on the screen with not a pen. <laughs> there, there was a company. I forget who it was now. Um, who had a projected keyboard. So the idea was that if yeah. you were working on, on the train or something like that, um, and you didn't have space to, to have a full keyboard in your bag, you pop this thing on the table in front of you, it projects the keyboard, the keyboard yeah. onto the table, yeah. and then you just type on the table. Yeah. And of course that's great, as it's very compact, uh, but you don't get any of that tactile feedback. You can't yeah. feel when you've pushed the buttons. Well, it does feel like then typing on a tablet. Yes, yeah, but without any possibility of having the sort of the no, brakes or anything... Yes. Apart uh, from the click, like click, click, as you go over the next few points. <laughs> exactly. Um, so mobile. phones will be watching that, so we'll certainly be talking about stuff coming up at the Mobile World Congress in a couple of weeks' time. Um, sticking with phones, and this is an interesting bit of stuff that you spotted, which I'd, I'd vaguely heard on, on one of the tech news wires, and this was a, a bit of monitoring stuff that might be happening on your phone than you might not be aware of. Yes, this was an interesting one, um, because it's, it's one of those overlaps where the the difference between, or that, that line between very sensible research and creepy, creepy. privacy invasion <laughs> is, is a little bit more blurred yes. than we'd like. Is, is your phone stalking you? So the, there's a, a company called Glassbox, uh, and the idea behind Glassbox's technology, very laudable, is that the best way to design an application is to watch how people use, or improve the design of an application, is to watch how people use it, see where they where they get stuck, where it's more difficult than it needs to be. Well, I mean, you, you read their own website. Their website says, imagine if your website or mobile app could see exactly what your customers do in real time and why they did it. Exactly. So, you, you know, you want, as a, as a product designer, you want to improve your products. And what Glassdoor does is it lets you replay how someone has interacted with your application, with your application note, not just everything on their phone, um, back at your office. So if I sort of gave gave you a, a copy of my application to go and play with for a week, um, then I can then sit back at, at my PC and see how you're using it, see what's working for you, what's not working for you. The problem is, is that this can capture every tap, every swipe, every text box that you fill in. Every um, bit of text you fill in. Exactly. Personal uh, personally identifiable information. Yep. The whole GDPR thing cr- suddenly creeps in because suddenly your billing address or your credit card number or your email address, anything like that, you could have entered into the app. Exactly. And th- this was being used by some very, very high profile uh, companies, the the likes of uh, Air Canada and Hotels.com, Expedia, um, Singapore Airlines, yeah, the lo- Hollister. Yeah, lots of really well known brands. For for very reasonable purposes, except they were capturing all of this data and not making it clear to people that they were doing it. It wasn't in the T's and C's of the app and it wasn't actually informed to the consumer that this was happening. And it's one of those things where I think all of us realise that if we want to book a flight, 
then clearly we're going to have to pay for that flight somehow. So we expect that credit card number to be sent to the airline. Yep. What we don't necessarily expect is for that credit card number to be sent to a human in the product development team so they can see whether your app's being, uh, yeah, where, whether you're yep. using the app in the way. You know, it's that expectation of not only what data are you touching, why are you touching it? All, Who's all, touching all it? All we need is, as those software developers leave, leave the building, we need to be able to wipe their brains every evening. Yeah. And restore them in the morning. But you know, it's, it's that sort of, is that why are you yeah. processing the data as well as just what are you seeing? Yes. Um, and so Apple got a little bit upset about people for this, uh, quite reasonably, and said, look, if you're going to use this technology, the technology itself is not bad. What's the problem is not getting that very specific informed consent and in other cases, not in the case of the airline so much, of doing it on apps targeted towards children where children are legally unable to to consent to yep. that sort of data data yep. processing um you know if you're not asking the parents then <laughs> actually you that it is a bit worrying anyway sticking with stalking and phones last one Oh, yes, this this was uh, EE, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, because they, they had a data breach a little while back. And this this was an interesting uh, outcome, which was uh, the, the BBC reporting this, that in one case, someone was actually stalked, as in, you know, in, in real life, uh, by an ex-partner as a result of that data breach. And what had happened is that her, her data had been exposed. Um, partner had, or ex-partner had managed to, uh, to get hold of this data, go into an EE shop, and basically impersonate her and convince them to well, swap the SIM card. Worse, her ex-partner worked for EE. Oh, was he actually an employee? He was oh, an employee. Oh, right. So he shouldn't have been able to access the data, but was able to access the data and used it for the wrong purposes. Yeah. So that that's why it was actually more serious, because he was actually inside the organisation. He is no longer working for EE, as you can imagine. But yes, was able to get her phone number moved to another SIM card and effectively hijack her... And of course, this does this does raise questions about yeah you know, the security of our phone numbers because with uh, two factor authentication, obviously, yeah, good I, thing. Log, I log on to anything gov.uk and it says and it I'm going to you. send you a text. Yeah, please enter the number. That that's obviously great, but if someone you know don't need to hack someone's phone, don't need just to clone, hack the phone network, clone it, go into the store and yeah. pretend to be that person and ask yeah. for a new SIM card. Yeah, because often all the store's going to ask for is a utility bill. Have you shredded your utility bills before you threw them away? Uh, thankfully, most of them are paperless now. It <laughs> <laughs> makes life a, a little bit easier. The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. Okay, well, it's the uh, the Cambridge Science Festival coming up soon and we're delighted now to be uh, joined on the line by Professor Tim Wilkinson. Good evening, Tim. Hello. Excellent. Well, thank you, uh, thank you so much for uh, for for joining us this evening. Um, and you've got a fascinating looking talk uh, coming up in in March about holographics. Now, for, before we before we dive into uh, in, into that, for for the those folks who maybe haven't been in Cambridge that long or just it's passed passed them by. Or they um, like a lot of Cambridge people. They've lived in the city for years <laughs> and never, and done, never anything. done anything. Never visited a museum <laughs> or visited a science festival. Well, what is the what's the Cambridge Science Festival all about? Well, the Cambridge Science Festival is brilliant. It's a celebration of a whole diversity of different talks and events and interactive sessions across the whole gamut of science and also uh, access to science. All sorts of fascinating um, aspects of. Um, you know how science can be 
day, you know, everyday technology right through to the impact on the environment to um, the way things work. Just a whole amazing range of different uh, topics are covered during the, 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 the two weeks. And it, it even spreads out beyond that into some of the um, uh, other events that go on in some of the different departments around the uh, university where they, uh, they're, they're somewhat restricted by the, the week that the event is held in. So they have their own host events, which are, I think are advertised in the back of the, the brochure, um, which go on for you know, almost a month afterwards. It's a real celebration of, of how science and technology can, can just uh, be everywhere. And hopefully it's designed to be interactive, fun, not just serious, boring, you know, maths and, and lessons, but actually the whole kind of, you know, joy that we get out of teaching and, and experiencing science. And I suppose the main aim is to try to get a lot more uh, people keen on science and technology and engineering and preferably the younger people, I should think, so that we can get more engineers, more scientists actually getting into university and, and studying these sort of fields. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's 100% what it's about. And you know, we're, we're not just trying to talk about how fun our work is, but also, you know, trying to encourage the next generation of scientists at all levels uh, to come along and get involved and hopefully pick up the bug because it's, it's, uh, it's a very addictive sport once you get into it, science. So uh, um, it's very difficult to, to not be interested once you've started to understand some of the you know, the concepts behind what's going on. So, uh, and the, the the range is quite breathtaking now. I mean, I've been involved for several years, and it's just exploded in the last kind of five or six years, where it's become such a broad ranging series of topics. It's, it's really fascinating. I go along to loads of events just because I'm interested in them, not just <laughs> because it's uh, you know because <laughs> it's great fun, but because there's so many interesting things going on. It's, it's actually so, like a big music festival. It's getting hard to choose what to go to. There's so much good stuff. So a professor of photonic engineering, what do you get oh, yeah. up to then? Well, I play with lights, basically. I mean, most people think electrical engineering is to do with, you know, electrons, transistors, circuits, but actually, if you increase the frequency up the range, you end up in light, and particularly invisible light range, and so I do my research and also so do, my teaching in, in that area. Do we dare ask us if light is a particle or a wave? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> probably probably got? Not, go, not. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. Could be a, um, well, for me, categorically, light is a wave. Okay. However, I do have to give some concession to the particle people as well. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm very much a wave person because basically holograms only work on the wave principles of light. Okay, so hang on, you, you, you're, you're giving this talk about holograms. This is something that everyone's familiar with from, suppose, from the movies, from, from the TV shows. But they exist, don't they? They're, they are real. Oh, yeah, they resist. They're on your bank card. They're everywhere. But uh, uh, there is a lot of misconceptions as well. There's a lot of, um, uh, I wouldn't say bad press, but the things that are presented, in, 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 particularly in film and television, which uh, aren't exactly uh, scientifically accurate. They're, they're, they're a subject or subject to CGI or computer graphics as much as they are to scientific reality. So one of the things I want to get across in this talk is what actual holograms are about and how they can really kind of revolutionise many aspects of everyday life. So so what yeah, what what do they look like in in the real world, you know, Star Wars aside, what what could someone actually expect to see when they see a hologram in in the real world and, and what can you do, what what can't you do? Well, most um, 
most people come across holograms in their own world uh, in the form of uh, diffractive yeah, photographs like, like the Bohr holograms where you have a glass plate, you look into it, and at the right angle you can see a, a three-dimensional image or an object of some sort that's been recorded in that film. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do, but, but basically make it more dynamic, make it so that it actually moves in real time. I mean, the, the photo-recorded holograms have been around since the 60s, but um, we need to be able to make them more interactive, more dynamic, and also more functional, because at the moment they just display you know, information but in one particular position and angle, and we want to try and expand that so that anybody can access that information and interact with it. So it, in in your uh, brief for your talk, you obviously talk about the, the best-known hologram from the movies, which was... Uh, Princess Leia projected out of R2-D2. Oh, the bane of my life, yes. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> more up-to-date movie, Paycheck, I guess you might have seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that that I like as a better concept of let's take away the frame of the screen and have the yep. image. Is that where we see ourselves hopefully getting to? Well, that's, that, that's interesting. That, that's an illusion. So you've already got that. You've got, you've got IMAX. You've got um, the system by museum called the Eyeliner. Um, which you often see um, rock concerts like the Gorillas, for instance, did a, a series of tours where they had some animated characters on stage in full 3D. And they, the annoying thing is they call those holograms, but they're not. They're, they're uh, actually it's a, old it's a projection. parlor trick. It's a projection, isn't it? Yeah, it's a projection, but you can't see the screen. So the yeah. key there is not seeing the screen. And holograms have the same problem. If, if I show you a holographic projection and you can see the projector, you focus on the projector rather than the image from the hologram, and it, it, it doesn't work as well as you hope it would. So that, that those, those technologies still give us a very interesting lesson as to how we can actually use holograms in, in a realistic way. So I suppose we, we were talking about uh, foldable mobile phones being the possible next fad. How, how long or how far do you think we are from doing away with the screen on the phone and we just have something on our wrist that gives us a display in front of us in, in midair? Ooh, that's a... Uh, <laughs> That's a tough question from a hologram person. <laughs> um, I think we're a little way away yet. I mean, there's still some issues with, um, uh, the, from what I understand, those technologies to do with the way they fold in their lifetime. And But, you know, the, the, the current technologies of bendable displays is now, you know, almost at the commercial level with OLEDs. So it's, it's becoming very... Uh, uh, realistic, and, and once, once something becomes, once something gets into the door, it rapidly accelerates through the production process and becomes you know, part of everyday life. Pre- presumably, you, you talked about uh, sort of 3D cinema being uh, more more an illusion. Of, and of course, anyone that's been to to one of these films will know that you currently have to 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 wear the glasses, and you know, the focal distance isn't necessarily correct. Um, do you think we'll get to a point where actually? holographic cinema is the norm you go into a cinema you don't have to put any special headgear on then it becomes a bit star trek like exactly you you just go in and it's your experience chamber almost absolutely my 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 kind of dream is the holodeck from um, that's the one (laughs) star trek voyager the the best star trek i might add (laughs) i don't know discovery's pretty good yeah, but Voyager has the holodeck, has the Doctor, who's also a hologram in the holodeck, it's even more confusing. Yeah, definitely a holographic Doctor. Is that something we're going to get to in, you know, within the, the sort of tangible future, do you think? Or is it one of those sort of, it's theoretically possible, but we need a lot of steps of a lot of different technologies to, to get to something of that scale? I can't see what's stopping us at the moment. I mean, just technologically, 
very few reasons why that's not possible at the moment. I mean, there, there it's, are, it's just cost, we, is it? Or it's cost, it's scale, and it's also you know taking over the incumbent technology and coming up with a new way of doing it. I mean, when when 3D cinema came out, it was seemed to be a huge step forward, but actually, it's it's still two dimensions. It's just left eye, right eye view, and and the yes. problem with that whole technique technique is that your your brain doesn't like that. Your brain treat your eyes are not cameras, basically, you know? and and that's why people can get a headache or feel slightly yeah. unwell. So all the VR stuff eventually suffers from that same problem because your eye just doesn't take pictures. Your eye moves. It's really quite a complex um, biological phenomenon connected to an even more complicated biological <laughs> phenomenon, your brain. So there's, 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 you know, there's this naive view that we just treat it like a camera, which is, of course, not, not accurate at all. Presumably there's, there's also the, a side of the how do we, how do we physically display this, uh, the, this hologram. There, there's the sort of the back-end problem, which is uh, let's imagine everyone has holographic displays. How do you get that content to them? Because presumably we're talking a, a vast amount of data. Um, it's, it's a lot of data, but data these days is, is, is vast in any technology because you know, your modern smartphone has a 4K resolution display in it. If I could get access to that display in the way I want to use it, I could generate holograms spectacularly using that display technology. The only problem at the moment is it's manufactured for a smartphone, so it's got all the trimmings of you know being flat and light and, and uh, also has lots of internal um, mechanisms which I can't use in holograms, which I have to get the manufacturers to remove. And at the moment, none of the manufacturers see this technology as being a big enough market to warrant the expense of actually taking that or so, making the modifications to your display. But, you know, the technology is there. You know, it's so are we, are we talking fundamentally about the same kind of display technology that you can use yeah. for doing holographics as, as you can normal displays? Exactly. The holograms we do in the lab at the moment are all done with liquid crystal displays. It's, it's no different. Um, it's just that we have a, uh, a different way of using the display, which... And we actually use a display that's more similar to what to ones used in, in, say, a data projector. So we use a much smaller and uh, a different technology of, of liquid crystal display. But fundamentally, the physics behind it is exactly the same. Right, 12th of March, 7.30 p.m., Jesus College. Yep. What are you going to show people? Um, I'm going to show them what a hologram really is. I'm going to dispel a few myths about what people think holograms are and how they work. And then I want to show them what we are doing at the moment with holograms and what capabilities we have, what capabilities we'd like to have, and, you know, also flash some nice lights around the room at the same time because they're great fun for WYSI <laughs> demonstrations and interactive uh, um, stuff. They're, they're visually very uh, spectacular and anything from a fixed hologram through to a dynamic holographic projector um, allows for a really quite interesting um, sort of demonstration of the technology. And uh, But I also want to explain, you know, why they are really the only way we can display three-dimensional information, no matter how we, you know, how, how other people try and other various compromised techniques that are out at the moment. Fundamentally, the hologram generates the light as if the object was really there, and that's kind of one of the key points I want to get across in my talk, is that that's what makes holograms so good. There's no other way of doing it other than having the real object itself. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like a, an absolutely fascinating evening. I'll, I'll, I think I'm going to see if I can put that one in the diary myself. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in my diary. I'm, I, if I get back from London on time, yeah. Lovely. Tim, thank you so, so much for, uh, for taking your time out this evening to, uh, to talk to us. No problem at all. Cheers for now. Brilliant. The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio.
And uh, thanks again to Professor Tim Wilkinson for joining us there from the, uh, the, the University of Cambridge Department for Engineering. His talk, if you want to learn all about holograms, is on the 12th of March, 7.30pm at the Jesus College West Court. CB5, 8BL, lots more details of the, uh, the Cambridge Science Festival, sciencefestival.cam.ac.uk. And as he said, some festivals sort of extend beyond the week and some colleges and departments are doing their own thing as well. So a bit of searching around and you'll find plenty of stuff through the entire month of March. Back to CES, which was in January, and just looking at some of the weirder things that um, that we picked out that appeared at the show. And some of these, well, it seems to be every year, there'll be everyone's idea of the latest thing that people will want. Yes, and uh, I, 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 well, this, this one I would love, um, plus or minus the cost. Um, this is the LG Styler. Right. Um, Official price not uh, not yet uh, <laughs> listed, but they're reckoning about fifteen hundred pounds, um, which is the smart wardrobe, right? Um, uh, and the idea of this, and th- this is brilliant. You basically, it's a wardrobe that you put your clothes in it, and yeah. it cleans them. Okay. Now, th- this to me goes along the same line of the make every kitchen cupboard a dishwasher thing, right? So, you, at the end of your meal, you just put your plates away, and then they're clean by the time you next want to use them. Um, uh, and so, the idea is it basically steams. Uh, steams your clothes when you've put them away, um, so it clean you know gets rid of any uh, uh, any bacteria or anything like that. Yeah, um, and just leaves your garments ready for uh, for use again. Only so four at this, a time. Would this sort of replace dry cleaning? Do you think? I think it's that sort of at least the refresher type thing. I, d- yeah. I suspect you probably still need to, to to give it a proper clean every now and again. Um, but I I thought that was quite neat. Um, maybe. maybe not entirely practical, £1,500 for, for four garments, but... <laughs> for what looks like a fridge that you put your clothes in. Exactly. Yeah, but, but imagine that in a fitted wardrobe and it's, uh, it's all yes, good. Yes, interesting. I, the, the bane of everyone's life is, is generally folding and, and ironing laundry and laundry in general. So anything oh, yeah. that makes that better and easier, I suppose, is, uh, is going to go down well with, with an audience. Yes. Other bits and pieces that LG were showing off, they were showing off a home brewing device. Oh, okay. So Which is, is quite it... interesting. So it works a lot like your Nespresso or your Tassimo coffee machine. You put a capsule in. But for beer. For beer. Slight problem is you can't create beer instantly. I was going to say, that, that that seems like a a, a much longer term thing. Of, you know, Nespresso takes, what, 30 seconds or something yeah, like that. So you do put you put your capsule in and it'll create five litres of beer in two weeks. That's still not... Like, but that's, that's not presumably, It's completely automated, I'm assuming. Yes. So yes. the, this sort of saves having to, uh, to do all the sterilisation. It, it's, it's hooked up to a water supply and a drain so that it can feed itself water and deal with itself. And it, it yeah, it just sits there quietly for two weeks and goes, I'm making beer. Now the, this... And in two weeks' time, you can put your glass underneath and pull the tap. It's got a proper beer pouring oh, right. tap. And you'll get a pint out of it. Now, I'm, I'm sort of in two minds here because half of me is just saying, go to your local supermarket. And yeah. like, if you're into home brewing, then surely what you're going to be doing is wanting to be part of that process and doing it for the enjoyment of the process. So it, it's the sort of thing of the beer's probably not as good as you get at your local brewery. But you've had all the satisfaction of mucking around with buckets and, uh, and stirring you, it. If it's, and... if it's just a capsule, have you had that satisfaction? I don't know, but you've probably got the the instant friend collection. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's your mate after you've got one of those. Uh, oh, currently, no price. 
I'm seeing a trend here. <laughs> Talking of instant friends, um, the the Quobo. I think right. that's how you pronounce it. Q O O B O. Uh, Cubo. Yes, it's, it's one of those words that shouldn't really exist because it hasn't got a but U after it's, the Q. It's it's marketing departments basically making up words, isn't it? It, it really is. They've sort of mashed the keyboards and landed on a few <laughs> letters. Um, but it's basically a fake cat. Right, so, so a, ro- a robot cat. A ro- it's a robot cat. Um, well, it's, it's a pillow with a tail, <laughs> if we're honest. <laughs> it, it, that, that, that's basically what it is. It's, so it's for people who don't want the the responsibility or, or you know don't have the the facilities to look after a, a, a pet full time, right? But still want something to cuddle. And of course, this is appropriate, perhaps with Valentine's Day in three days' time. Um, but you can go and get yourself a fake cat. <laughs> it, it doesn't quite seem the, the same, does it? Uh, oh, where's it, where's it gone? Is this uh, the low robot? Yes. Um, uh, Four thousand three hundred tr- pounds. Oh, well, I think you might be on a. I'm uh, on a. I'm oh, on, you're on a different. I'm on a one, different. I found another cuddly, cuddly robot from Japanese robotics Groove X called the Lovobot. Okay, that really is on the Valentine's Day Designed theme, isn't it? To nurture people's capacity to love. So okay, so you need to get it one of these to before be up and cuddled. Day. It waves its little arms in the air and it'll follow you around your house on its wheels. <laughs> Four thousand pounds gets you a stalker that's digital. Okay, I've I've i found a price in in Japanese yen. It's uh, I need to convert that. It's thirteen thousand yen um, in pounds. So what what's that going to work out? That's only a hundred pounds for yeah. your for your pillow with a tail. Okay, that's more affordable than the Lovo bot. I, I think it literally is a pillow but, with a tail that wags. Okay. So that one's not going to follow Just, you around the house. No, 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 no. It's uh, literally a pillow uh, with a wagging tail. <laughs> <laughs> and a cool marketing team. I think I found the better product, though. Go on, then. Something that walk, walks you, follows oh, yeah, you around yeah, the house. Yeah. Yes, yes. How about the foldy mate? Is, is this the sim, similar This deal? is the laundry folder. <gasps> yes. <laughs> I want one. Yes. Um, so it can apparently fold an entire load of laundry in five minutes. Where, where do I get it and how much money do I need We're to We're talking them? about £770 launching late that is 2019. Tempting. That is tempting, if I'm honest. Is it going to do a good job or are you going to get like t-shirts randomly way. folded it into looks, triangles? It looks as precise as Sheldon would do. That's pretty good. Okay, so yeah. you're going to we, get without one t-shirt, of those the without plastic the, t-shirt yeah, formers. Which you can buy and those are not expensive, but no. yes. Um, so it looks like it does a pretty good job. Um, so yeah, interesting. It, it does look like... A large printer that you sort of feed your shirt into and it comes, <laughs> and it comes out, out perfectly. <laughs> or, or it's, as, as most inkjet printers do, sort of, you know, slightly mangled with a little bit streaked out that way. Yes. Um, yeah. We've jammed. Sorry, your shirt is now in pieces. <laughs> yeah, you hope that they've sorted out all those sort of quirks way before they ship things. Anyway, launching late this year, so they'll probably be at CES 2020. Oh, there we go. So that's the Consumer Electronics Show. All in all, a little bit of madness. That's about all we've got time for on tonight's Gadget Guide. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking to John McElhenney from Cambridge Fibre about some of the newer internet connectivity the city will be enjoying soon. OK, well, coming up after 7 o'clock is 8 out of 10 tracks, then Davy Hammond's Smelly Flowerpot, finishing off this evening on Cambridge 105 Radio with Kepa the Cat Show.